up, Kosa? How you guys doing this morning? You guys doing well? Welcome, welcome, welcome. My name is TJ. I'm one of the pastors here. We're glad that you're with us, and uh, it's a beautiful, beautiful day. How many people are glad it's Sunday today? Anybody glad it's Sunday? How many of you guys are, are looking forward to Monday? Okay. How many of y'all are glad it's Sunday then? Let's try that again. Yeah, a few more. A few, not really very many more. Okay, apparently y'all like Sundays. But I, I, I love Sunday, but my Sunday gets better when you're here. And so thank you for being a part of our services today. We are in week three of a four-week series called The Dilemma. And we've been studying the book of Daniel. And, and we've, been, we've been trying to answer uh, the, the dilemma that I think all of us are facing. And what we've been talking about in this series is, is you know, we're, we're living in a day and an age where it seems like it's getting more and more ungodly uh, uh, by every single day. And, and so the question is, is, is how, do we, how do we stand firm in our faith in that culture and at the same point love well uh, at the same time? Because what culture has kind of said is it said, hey, you got to make a choice. It's, it's either one of these, either you're going to stand firm for God and his word and, and people are going to hate you, but you'll probably make it to heaven or you're going to love well. And in order to love well, it means that you're going to have to adapt God's word to culture and kind of twist it and change it so that it fits what is okay with everybody else. And, and so we've been saying throughout this series, it's not an either or, it's a both and. We don't believe that you have to change God's word. We believe that you can love well and stand firm in God's truth at the same time. And, and so we've been looking at the book of Daniel, which is basically a playbook for how Daniel did this in his day, how he lived in an ungodly culture and stood firm and loved well and didn't just endure that his season of life there, but actually influenced it. And I believe that God has called each and every one of us to be influencers in this world. And so over the last couple of weeks, uh, um, the first week we kind of talked about the theology of the book of Daniel, and the book of Daniel could be summed up in these, this, these two words. It's about uh, grace and truth. Daniel lived this life with grace and truth, and actually uh, he kind of modeled it before the, the main model of grace and truth came, Jesus Christ. And so, the, you know, we've got to have grace and truth. And last week we talked about uh, this idea that the book of Daniel is set in a locality, it's set in a location called Babylon, we talked about the fact that, uh, that Babylon is not necessarily a locality, but it's a mentality. And it's a spirit that has been around from the very beginning of creation all the way until today. And it's found in Genesis, it's found in Revelation, it's found in the middle of the Bible in Isaiah, and it's found specifically in, in the book of Daniel. And, and most evil and sin comes from that mentality, and how are we to overcome that? And today, I want to focus on, we're going to focus over the last two weeks on how do we stand firm and love well. And today... We're going to talk about standing, and, and this is something that we're probably never going to have some of the same uh, dilemmas that other people throughout the world are going to have. You know, I don't think in our country it's coming to the point where if you don't, uh, if somebody challenges your faith, they're going to kill you like it is in other parts of the world. We don't have it like that. But we are going to have some choices in life, and we're going to have some decisions that we're going to have to make. And I want us to be prepared for those moments. I want us to be able to stand firm in those moments. And you don't have to go very far in scripture or reading throughout the Bible to see words like stand firm, stand up, stand, stand true, take courage for God. And in fact, I, I put one of them in your message outline there in 1 Corinthians. It says, be on your guard. Like we got to be cognizant that there's going to be some decisions that we're going to have to be made, that we're going to be cognizant of the fact that the culture is always pushing us to make a choice 
He says, be on your guard. Stand firm in your faith, which is what we're talking about today. Be courageous, be strong, and do everything in love. It's the stand firm, love well. There's always a balance there in nature. And so, now, I don't think we really experience the extremities uh, or the extremes that a lot of people face when it comes to standing firm in our faith. Like our, our standing firm in our faith is, is we go out to a restaurant with some people and, and, and it's whether we're going we're gonna to do a really, really quick prayer before our Jesus bless the food in Jesus' name, amen. Or if, it, if it's going to be a little bit more bold than that, like, like we're going we're gonna to actually pray out loud with the other people. Like, and it's going to be a little bit more drawn out so people could see. And, or, or you go out to eat, like I've gone out to eat with a group of guys, and, and one of the guys is way more spiritual than I am. He's like, hey, let's pray and hold hands. And I'm like, listen, I love Jesus, but I don't love you like that. So like, we, we just pray, you know. Uh, and we make fun of it because it's like, oh, man, that, you know, like that's not really a big deal. But yet uh, there's this pressure in society like, oh, don't make a big deal out of that. Don't, don't make yourself known you stand for something and that you believe in something and so shy away from those moments and we're not faced with some of the decisions that the people throughout the world you know we just in the last year you've seen people in Egypt being beheaded for their faith you know ISIS has come in and said hey do you believe in God and if you say yes I believe in Jesus and God they'll tell you deny him or we'll kill you and they'll cut their heads off we're probably not facing that reality. If you look throughout the history of time, you see people that, that face this dilemma when it comes to their faith. Am I going to stand firm for what God says, or am I going to succumb to what other people want me to do? You think back, uh, if you were to read Fox's Book of Martyrs, you look at something like Polycarp, who, who stood up to the Pope and the Roman Emperor, and they, they were doing some things that, that they shouldn't have been doing, and, he, and they said, hey, say this is okay, and Polycarp said, no, I won't say that sin is okay. And they said, if you don't, we'll, we'll burn you at the stake. And Polycarp said, I would rather burn for a little bit here on earth than burn in eternity in hell. Took a stand for his faith. Think about people like Diedrich Bonhoeffer during World War II as, as Nazi Germany. He was a, he was a German pastor, and as, as the Nazis were taking uh, the Jewish people on, on trains right behind his church to concentration camps, every Sunday morning as he preached, they would hear the trains, the death camp trains going behind them. And one Sunday, he finally got to this point where God was welling up inside of him and said, man, I've got to take a stand. I can't allow these people behind me to die because we disagree and, and he walked off the platform and he said, this is the end of me and the beginning of my new life. As he was hung by the Nazis. You think about Martin Luther King, Dr. Martin Luther King, who, who stood up for inequality and any justice, injustice when it came to race. And, and I believe that he was killed because he said, man, I can't, I can't stand this any longer. I don't think God meant to do what we're doing to people right now. And he stood up for it. And if there's a story that depicts people standing for faith, standing for true justice and mercy and love, it's the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Some of you guys know that story because of Veggie Tales. Your kids have watched it back in the day, and some of us grew up in, in Fundamental Baptist Church, so we had, the, we had the flannel boards and everything. And so you, maybe you remember the story, maybe you don't. Uh, but we're going to be studying that today. If you want to turn your Bibles to Daniel chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible, you can look at your worship guide. If you don't have a worship guide, you just pay attention on the screen. It's going to be a ton of scripture today. Uh, I don't apologize. God's word is amazing. Uh, Daniel chapter 3, starting in verse 1, it says, 
King Nebuchadnezzar made an image. And I just want to stop right there because this is, this is important for us to recognize throughout this story. Because you'll see how often the word image and sound is used throughout this, this passage right here in Daniel 3. And that's because uh, imagery and sound is culture's way of getting its God in your life. It's how it works. You know, culture doesn't come out and say, no, 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 don't serve God, serve our God. It's way more subtle than that. It's way more conniving and secretive than that. In fact, it uses imagery and it uses sounds to, to put ideas and to put thoughts in your mind. That's what the Bible tells us. Above all else, guard our heart before it's, because it's the wellspring of life. What, what leads to our heart? Our eyes and our ears. It's what we're hearing and what we're seeing. And so the enemy knows this, and he's, he's using that. And, and we think that things that mock God will hear a song that mocks God but has a good beat, and we'll just go, oh, no, it's not that big of a deal. No, watch yourself. You'll see something on TV that, that mocks what God says, and you'll go, oh, man, it's just a TV show. No, 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 watch what you're watching. It's, it's infiltrating your life. And, and so King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold 60 cubits high and 6 cubits wide, 90 foot by 9 foot. That's a big image. And set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then he summoned the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image that he had set up. So all those dudes and all those other officials assembled for the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before it. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, nations and peoples of every language, this is what you're commanded to do. And what culture always does is it always take it a, takes us to a place where we feel like I have to do this. Like I've got to do this or I'm going to lose it all. And that's what they tell us. You are commanded to do so as soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of all those instruments, all the nations and peoples of every language fell down and worshiped the image of gold that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And so, Nebuchadnezzar sets it up and says, you've got to do this, and everybody succumbs to it. Except if you were to go down to verse 12, it says, there were some Jews who had been set up over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, your majesty. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold. Now, I want you to recognize the word, worship the image of gold. And I love this because these guys were like, King, we ain't worshiping. And here's why that's important. Because what you worship is important. And we all worship something. All of us are worshiping. You want to know what you're worshiping? Look at your time, look at your attention, look at your focus, look at your love, look at your admiration, look at where you spend your money. Whatever that is geared for in your life, that's probably what you're worshiping. And we all worship. And culture's goal is to get you to worship something other than God. And what is God's first command? There should be no other gods before me, right? Like, I want to be number one. And so what does the enemy try to do? What does culture try to do? Tries to get you to worship something else. So my question for you today is, 
What are you worshiping? What are you worshiping in life? Because we all worship something. And so Nebuchadnezzar reacts the same way our world reacts. He gets angry. Listen, you have an opinion about anything today that disagrees with somebody else's opinion, what do they do? They hate you. They react crazy, don't they? All you got to do is spend an hour on Facebook to lose your Christianity. Just, uh, I'm serious. Like, like are, can you believe this? I, like, I just turned it off. I was like, I can't, I can't stand it anymore. It's just too much. We got to a point in society where if I don't believe what you believe, we hate each other. That's crazy. Anyways, verse 13. It says, furious with rage. Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold that I set up? He's basically like, what's up? What's up? Is it, is it true? And he goes, listen, I'm going I'm to give you one more shot. I'll give you one more chance. Give you one shot. When the music plays, if you fall down and worship the statue... It's going to be all good. Listen, it's all good. But if you refuse, and what I'm trying to do here, church, today is I'm trying to get you to a place because there's going to come to a decision that you're going to have to make where you're going to have to refuse some things. And I'm trying to get you prepared for that moment because a lot of us, we haven't been prepared for that moment when culture comes up against us. Some of us, some of the young ladies in here, you've, you've gone out on a date on a Friday night and you weren't prepared for that moment because you weren't prepared for that moment to take a stand. You ended up doing something you were never prepared to do. Some of you at work, because you weren't prepared to make a stand, your boss asked you to do something that was unethical or not right, and because you weren't prepared to stand in that moment, you succumbed to the pressure of that moment. And I'm trying to get us ready to be ready for that stand, because we got to stand for something. It says, but if you refuse, you'll be thrown into a flaming furnace within the hour, and what God can deliver you out of my hands? See, the enemy's goal is to try to scare you out of making the right decision. The Bible tells us that he goes around like a, like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. He's going around going, rawr, 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 rawr. Right? But if you, were to, if you were to move the screen, you'd realize that he's just a little pussycat right there. And you're like, what? He just makes a lot of noise. Why? He's trying to intimidate you. That's his, that's his M.O. He doesn't have the ability to back it up. All he can do is intimidate you into decision. So he says, you've got to do this, man, if you refuse. And he makes a lot of empty threats. He's like a roaring lion. Doesn't say he is. And so I want to help prepare you for that stand. And so if, if, if we're going to talk about how do we love well and influence culture next week, because I think we can but if we're going to take a stand, you're taking notes. Standing firm takes courage. You see that in these, these three young men. It took courage to stand firm. For, in fact, the Latin word for courage is core, and it derives from your heart. Courage rises up from your heart. And let me help you here. Courage isn't not being afraid of anything. That's called stupidity. Courage is in the midst of your fear, not bowing to your fear. That's what courage is. And that's exactly what these boys had. It says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we are not worried about what will happen to us. They said, we got 99 problems, but fear and worry are not one of them. Right. And, and I would submit to you that, that the reality is, is they weren't worried, but I, I guarantee that there was some healthy fear there. 
Because the threat of the fiery furnace wasn't just an empty threat. They knew this dude was cray-cray. They knew that, that what he said he would probably do, it wasn't just some made-up idea like, uh, let me think of a punishment, uh, fiery furnace. No, 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 he, he, he had a plan. But something came up inside of them called courage. I call it a holy disconnect, discontent. When, when you rise up and you go, man, that's not right, and I need to take a stand right now for what's right. I'm not going to go with what everybody else is doing. I'm going to stand for what I believe God has called me to stand for. And courage isn't the absence of fear. Courage is standing firm in spite of your fears. It's God, I know, I know something's going on in here, and I'm, I'm afraid, but I'm, I, I trust you more. And I'm going to stand up in this moment because I believe in you, and that boldness rises up. And listen, we need to have courage, but standing firm also requires us to have some faith. That, that, that God is going to be with us, that God is going to be on our side, that, that God's, we have to have faith that no matter what's going to happen, even if it's beyond our understanding, that God is in complete control of that situation and that he'll never leave us nor will he ever forsake us. Requires some faith. And, and these young men in verse 17, it says, if we are thrown into the flaming furnace, our God is able to deliver us. I love the confidence there. Listen, God's able to deliver and he will deliver us out of your hand. Like, they're just like, man, we got this. And then they said, your majesty. But if he doesn't, please understand, sir, I love how polite and kind they were in this situation. Because when we disagree with people, what do we do? We call them names. We get dirty with them. Like, they're, they're, not, they're not disrespectful. They're not dishonorable. They go, listen, your majesty, sir, please understand. They go, that even we will never under any circumstances serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have erected. We believe God can, we believe God will, but even if he doesn't, listen, we're trusting in our God. It doesn't matter what everybody else says, it's about what God says. And they believed that God was on their side because they had a they had a belief in a principle that I think a lot of us don't really understand. And that's this, that if we are Christ followers, we are in a win-win situation. And when you're in a win-win situation, you know what you can't do? You can't lose. Let me explain why you're in a win-win situation and why I'm in a win-win situation if we know Christ. Because Paul tells us to live is Christ, to die is gain. So if I stand and I live, then I'm more and more like Jesus on a daily basis and everybody gets to see it. If they choose to kill me in that moment, I'm no longer in this life. I'm with Jesus. So I win. No matter what you do, no matter what you say, I win. All I do is win, win, win. Like, like that's it right there. Because I follow Jesus, all I do is win. Doesn't matter what you do, Nebuchadnezzar. Doesn't matter what you do, culture. Because when I got Jesus on my side, all I do is win. And when you have that kind of attitude, can't nothing hold you down. And so when we stand, we have to stand in faith. And when we stand, we're not standing against something. I want you to hear me. I'm not standing against culture. I'm standing for God. Because listen, if we don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. Stand for God. Listen, I don't hate culture. I don't hate political parties. I don't hate people that do wrong. I love God, and I stand for God. Verse 19, it says, Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude toward them changed. 
He ordered the furnace heated up seven times hotter than usual. So basically, it became Nelly. It's getting hot in here. You know what I'm saying? And, uh, and he commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego like the fire wasn't enough, tie them up tighter, and throw them into the blazing furnace. And so these men wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes, they could have just said wearing their clothes, but they, they had to give it everything, were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent, the furnace was so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, fell, flazing, fell into the blazing furnace. And this is, this is what's crazy here, is it says the king then leapt to his feet and goes, hey, hey, everybody, weren't there three dudes that we threw in there? And the, all the guys are like, Shadrach, Meshach, yeah, yeah, three. There were three in there, king. There was, yes, there were three. And he goes, but, but, but wait, guys, I don't just see three. I see four, and the last one looks like the son of freaking God. It's amazing. What it tells me is that no matter what you go through, God is right there with you. See, in theology, this is what we would call a theophany. I'm going to teach you something today. Theophany. It's basically throughout the beginning of, uh, from the very beginning of time, Jesus has been seated at the right hand of the Father. Except for the 33 years that he came to earth to live this earth a sinless life and die on the cross, he's been in heaven seated at the right hand of his Father. But every once in a while, I don't know what, this is, this is a little bit of TJ's theology in here because I'm, I'm explaining it like this. So every once in a while, Jesus is sitting up in heaven next to God the Father, and he looks down and he sees these boys taking a stand, and he's like, Dad, Dad, let, let me go down there. Let me freak some people out. And he's like, go for it, son. And Jesus goes, what's up? You know, in the middle of the fire, and Nebuchadnezzar's like, what's up? You know, and so it's just an amazing moment. Freak some people out. Verse 26. Just continue on, Nebuchadnezzar. <laughs> then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Hey, you guys! No, he didn't shout that. He said, Hey, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God. All of a sudden, he got saved. He's like, I got a new religion. I'm with those jokers. And uh, he's like, Come out! Come here! So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire. Then the satraps, prefect, all those people crowded around them. And they saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies. Check it out. It means that we can stand in the middle of culture and not even be harmed by it. God says, man, we can stand right in the midst of it. It says, nor was a hair on their head singed. Their rooms were not scorched, nor was there the smell of fire on them. Like, you don't even have to smell like culture. Because God will rescue you. And see, when we stand, what's standing firm, when we stand firm, what it does is it inspires other people. Inspires some other th people. We think, for some reason, that if we stand firm, people are going to hate us. But the reality is, is people fall in love with Jesus because of us. Dads, let me talk to you for a second. All morning, you're going to get up and you're going to go through your normal day. What if you took a stand and said, hey, kids, wife, before you all leave, I want you, I want to pray with you this morning for your day. Have to pick them up off the ground because that's where they are at that moment. You prayed for them. You took a stand. You said, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. What if tomorrow at work, you not get up on your desk 
and preach the gospel, but what if you took a stand and said, you know what, I'm going to live for integrity and honor and honesty, and I'm going to live with the attributes of God, evident in my life, not by what I say, but how I live every single day. I'm not going to succumb to pressure. I'm going to live with integrity and honesty and honor and love. You don't have to preach because people just look at you and go, what's, what's up with that guy? I want to I find out what's going on. I know this is true. I was in a, a, a coffee shop a, a couple weeks ago. I was sitting there. I finished up a meeting with some people. I, I took a phone call, and as I was finishing this phone call, a lady walked over to me, and she goes, hey, are you a Christian? And uh, I have a sticker on my computer that says, I love my church, so it'd be kind of, I, I can't really deny it at that point. It's like, yeah, I am, you know, and, and not that I would deny it, and I go, yeah, yeah, I'm a, I'm a Christian, and she invites herself at my table, and she pulls out the chair, and she sits down. I'm like, what are you doing? I invite you to my table, but she sits down, and for the next 45 minutes, she, she, she spills her life. to some stranger. And at the end of it, she pushes back from the table and goes to get up, and I said, oh, you're not getting up yet. And I stood up and I said, listen, God wants to move in your life, and I want to pray for you right here. She's like, in front of everybody? I'm like, right here. And I put my hand on her shoulder, and I'll start praying. I don't, I don't do the, Jesus, would you? I'm like, Jesus! <laughs> like, everybody, everybody, I was like, whoop! <laughs> Felt bad for her, but felt good for Jesus. <laughs> Inspire some other people when we stand firm for God. Verse 28 says, Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. All of a sudden, Nebs, he's a Christian. He's like, I'm with them. They said, it says, they trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any God except their own. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut to pieces. So he's saved but not sanctified. He hasn't got it figured out yet. Still living his old way. Got Jesus in his heart, though. And their houses be turned into piles of rubble for no other God can save in this way. Then the king promoted. We think when we take a stand for God, we're going to get demoted. But God says, man, when somebody takes a stand, I can trust them and I can promote them because they've got more in their future because they'll stand for what's right. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Listen, church, I believe that we're called to be a voice in this world, not an echo. We're called to be a voice. We're called to stand for truth and be a voice in this world where everybody is echoing what everybody else is saying. They're just going along with the crowd. God has called us to stand in the midst of culture and say, this is what I'm for. I'm not against other things. Listen, I don't want our church ever be known as the church. That's the church that's against this or against that. Listen, no, we're the church that's for loving God, loving people, and showing it. Bottom line. We love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We love people the way that Jesus did, and we just show it continuously. We let, we let the Holy Spirit do his job. It's not our job to do his job. Anytime we take his job, we jack it all up. So, passionate about that. I believe we need to stand for a couple things. I believe as the church and as individuals, we need to stand for three things in particular. Number one, we need to stand in prayer. We need to stand in prayer. For some reason, culture has hijacked prayer. Religion has hijacked prayer. It's become this meek, mild, timid aspect of our faith. And what we say is, 
I'm having a quiet time. I'm Jesus in my heart, and so I'm, I'm having a quiet time. When did God ever call prayer timid? In fact, if you were to go to Jerusalem, when they pray, they have this thing called a wailing wall, where they go, God, help us, crying out to God. And we're like, oh, but it's in my heart. Mm -mm. But TJ, what about be still and know that I'm God? Well, you can stand in one spot and be loud, because being still and being loud are totally different. Come on now. We're manipulating things so it can, God can fit in our little box. And God's saying, hey, I want you to get out of the box and pray and believe. Yes. Get bold with your faith. Bold prayers honor God, and God honors bold prayers. But they're not bold if they're hiding back here under the stage in the corner in the secret. That's not bold. That's wussy prayers. Am I allowed to say that? <laughs> Somebody shaking their head no. We'll get you saved later. Uh, I'm just kidding, kidding. Golly, man, you all are so critical. What does Ephesians tell us? It says, put on the full armor of God. It's an active aspect of prayer so that you can what? So you can stand. Isn't that what we're after? We're trying to stand. Verse 12, it's not in your notes, but it says against the principalities and all the, the evil things of this world. So we're standing against something. So we gotta, we got to have some power behind that. There's got to be some firmness behind that. There's going to be some belief about that. There's going to be some boldness behind that. And I believe we got to stand. One of the reasons I, I, I believe our church has reached so many people and has had such an impact is because every Wednesday morning from day one, we've been at 6.30 a.m. at our offices, no matter where they've been, we've been praying. For a lot of days, it was me and where's Ivan Molina? Where is he? He's back there in the corner. It's just me and Ivan. We'd be in there, Jesus, we need you. Well, that's more like Ivan, but because I nobody can hear me over Ivan. <laughs> but man, we're going after God. We're, we're believe, we've been believing God for you. We've been praying for you for years. Believing God would set you free and give you a, a purpose and a plan and that you would overcome the evil that's in your life and that you would live out what God has for you. We've been believing for years. Prayer is important. Listen, at the end of that meeting at the seed, when I got up to leave that lady, as I was walking out, another guy came up to me. He's like, hey, can you pray for me too? And I was like, yeah, dude, let's do this. And I grabbed him. Jesus. <laughs> Why? Because I'm, I'm going to take a stand in prayer. I believe God's called us to take a stand in prayer. Number two, take a stand for our purpose. All of hell is going to try to keep you from doing what God has called you to do. And some of you guys have, have succumbed to the pressure that you're not good enough, you're not worthy enough, that you're not able, that you've been disqualified, and, and you've allowed culture to tell you that over and over again. And what I would tell you today is welcome to the club. None of us is able. None of us are worthy. None of us are qualified to walk out the purpose and plan of God. It's God who qualifies us. It's God who makes us able. And, and, and the enemy has hijacked us from getting involved in the local church and serving other people and, and getting involved in nonprofits. And it's time for some of us to step up and jump in. Don't let the enemy steal what God intended for your life. Stand for your purpose. In 1 Corinthians, it says, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves 
fully to the work of the Lord. He's saying, give yourselves fully to the purpose I've called you to, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Listen, what you're called to do is not normal. It's extraordinary. It's perfect for you. And there's so many Mondays I wake up and I'm like, God, can I just quit this church thing? And I'm reminded over and over again, no, you're called to stand in your purpose, TJ. So get over yourself, get over your inadequacies and get back on the horse and start riding again. Listen, as a church, we're going to stand for our purpose as a church to make it hard for people to go to hell by making it easy for them to go to church so they can experience, so they can know, and so they can follow Jesus. We're, we're not going to waver for that, from that. That's what we're all about as a church. That's why coming up on December 10th in our immeasurably more offering, man, we're believing that for the next generation. We call them next generation, but the generation of today. Man, we're standing firm believing that God wants them to experience, know, and follow Jesus. And we're not going to go to the left or go to the right. We're going to stand firm in that because that's the purpose that he's called us to as a church. So God's called us to stand for prayer, and he's called us to stand for our purpose. And number three, he's called us to stand for God. If you do nothing else, stand for him. You know why you should? Because he stood for you. The reason we should all stand for God is because he stood for you. Think about it. He left the comfort and confines of heaven put his life on the line from our perspective put his career on the line put his reputation on the line the Bible says he made himself of no reputation you want to know why it's because of you It says it, it was for the joy set before him that he endured the cross. You know what that joy was? That joy was you. You can imagine Jesus up there and just as they're nailing a nail through his hand, he's going, ah, this is the word. I don't, I don't want to do this. And then he's like, ah, but Jessica. It's worth it for Jessica. As they put the next nail in, ah, this is the worst pain I've ever experienced. us to do is to stand for him. Matthew 10, 32, it says, stand up for me against world opinion. The world's got a lot of opinions today. He says, and I'll stand up for you before my Father in heaven. So I want to close with one thought here today, and that's this, is that all throughout scripture, it says that Jesus is seated at the right hand of God. He's seated. He's sitting. He's sitting. He's sitting. In fact, in Colossians 3, 1, it says, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. And so all throughout Scripture, you see Jesus is seated. But there's one time in Scripture where he's not. In Acts chapter 7, there's a guy named Stephen who starts preaching the gospel. And the religious leaders of the day uh, don't like what he's saying, disagree what he's saying, and they, they take him and they arrest him and they, they condemn him to being stoned and I don't know if you know what they would do to stone somebody but they would put 
a solid pole into the ground and they would tie the person's hands behind their back attached to that pole so they couldn't get away. And they would surround that person and they would pick up rocks the size of your fist and bigger. And they would hurl it at that person. And it would batter and it would bruise and it would concuss. And, and if you didn't die from blunt force trauma, what they would do is they would just keep throwing stones at you until eventually your entire body would be covered with stones. So that if you didn't die from being hit, you would die from suffocation. And in the middle of that place, in Acts chapter 7, verse 55 and 56, it says, But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus, check it out, standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Listen, Jesus does stand on some occasions. Jesus stands when I stand. Jesus stands when you stand. And I want to leave you with this. Stand. Jesus always stands with me. Would you guys bow your heads with me here today? God, my prayer today is that we as a church, that we would be courageous, faith-filled, passionate, about who you are and what you want to do in people's lives. God, that we would never succumb to the pressures of the world, but God, we would stand firm in faith and take courage in those moments. God, and my prayer is, is that, that we would not have arrogance in that, that we wouldn't think that we're better than other people because we're standing firm, but we would remember the reason we stand firm is because of what Christ did for us what he's already paid for on the cross, that he wants every single other person to experience in their lives. And my prayer is, is that we would leave today full of the Holy Spirit like Stephen, knowing that when we stand, we stand on a firm foundation because we don't stand alone, we stand with you. And you're right there with us no matter what culture hurls our way, no matter what people hurl our way. God, we stand firm in who you are because of who you are. Maybe there's some of you out there today that Maybe you've been around church before and you've been around a bunch of rules and religion and all kinds of things and, and, and you've never made a stand for God. You thought it's all about rights and wrongs and God, isn't a, God wants to help you with that stuff but what God is after is your heart. He wants you to know that he loved you so much that he was willing to leave everything so that you could experience everything God had for you. That there's a purpose and there's a plan for your life and it comes when you give your heart to him, when you take a stand and say, you know what, I've screwed up, I've messed up in life, and I need God to forgive me of those sins. And today I ask you to forgive me of those sins so I can have that life. Maybe there's others of you that pressure and culture has caused you to kind of shrink back from standing, and today you need to step back up and say, you know what, God, I want to take a stand for you. If you're in either of those categories with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you would slip your hand up at the count of three, one, two, three, I'd like to pray with you. Yes, yes, hands going up all over the place. Pastor Josh, would you lead them 